right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Sex Cells, the podcast where a comedian talks to a relationship therapist about dating, culture, and relationships in the modern world. Today, we are talking about the way love is depicted in film and TV, the Disneyfication of love, if you will. And I'm sure there's a lot to say on that. Um, so this should be a good one. And before we get into it, we're going to do a few announcements and talk about our sponsors. So if you want to skip straight to the podcast, go to the three-minute mark. Our first sponsor is Crush Organics. We're sponsored by Crush Organics. Crush with a K. Go to crushorganics.com. Use the code NEEL, N-E-E-L. You get 40% off their huge range of CBD oil and CBD products. they got gummies. they got pain cream. I've been using that pain cream. I've got a lot of... Uh, recurring ailments. I've got a bulging disc in my back. I've got rotator cuff issues and I've got a few other issues that uh, might not be uh, a bit NSFW, but I'll tell you what, that crush CBD pain cream oil definitely does the job. So get yourself some of that. Use the code Neil, N-E-E-L, crushorganics.com. We're also sponsored by... uh, Comedy Untamed, come to a stand-up comedy show, as the name suggests, unfiltered. We don't censor any of the comedians, so you get true stand-up comedy, not the rubbish that you see on TV. You get really hard-hitting, funny stand-up comedy. It's a really fun night. There's great drinks at both of the venues at uh, Melbourne and in Sydney. Some of the cocktails in Sydney are fantastic. It's just a fun underground comedy night the way it should be none of this corporate comedy this is true artistic stand-up comedy go to comedyuntamed.com for tickets it's weekly in sydney and melbourne and monthly in newcastle and if you are subscribed to this podcast so if you have a subscription that could have been for a a topic a question or a shout out That will most likely be changing at the end of February. We will no longer be doing subscriptions. It'll move to a one-off cost. So if you want to send in a topic question or shout out, it'll just be a one-off cost. But if you are subscribed until then, uh, send in another question, another topic, another shout out. Uh, Even if it hasn't been a year, we'll try to get to that because we love the topics, questions, and shout outs that you guys send. And I believe that's all the announcements and sponsors for this podcast so there we go we hit the two minute 54 mark almost dead on three minutes let's get into it can you hear that on your end the little jingle oh god yeah <laughs> my whole brain vibrates when you play it's so loud in my ears oh really it's, great, though. it's catchy oh maybe i've got to still play around with some audio settings there but uh <laughs> I love it's it. nice. I like podcasts with jingles. I'm going to do a bit more of those. I'll do one at the start of the podcast, one at the end of the little housekeeping, and then one right at the end of the podcast. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. Forever implementing new little things. That's great. Yeah. It's a nice little vibe, you know, good sex sales vibe, bit casual, bop your head to it, get a glass of wine, listen to some, uh, some sex sales. I'm still shocked at how many couples listen to this but separately, and then they discuss. Yeah. That's so yeah. cool. Yeah, I hear about that all the time. <laughs> and sometimes I've had a, a guy and a girl message me about something, two different things, 
And then I've realized they're in a relationship together when I've looked at their profile and they're like, me and my girlfriend listen or me and my boyfriend listen. That's so I'm awesome. Just coincidentally, but they didn't even know. I didn't, well, I don't know, but I don't think they even knew that each other was messaging me with like little oh. tidbits or comments or questions. Yeah, so cute. But yeah. I hear about that a lot. Um, I Some of my friends' boyfriends listened and my friends don't even listen um, or or they both do or people I don't even know that I've, I've made a friend who neil knows um she he went to school with her and she listens to our podcast and her husband also has listened to the podcast too so small world that is so cool now i have a friend through it <laughs> yeah, yeah small world indeed yeah carrying by high school good old days For those <laughs> of you don't know that's near that that's in the shire in sydney so if you don't know the shire there was an infamous and very terrible reality TV show maybe 15 years ago trying to uh, copy Geordie Shaw and uh, whatever the British one is. Uh, or maybe that's the British one. Yeah, Jersey yeah. Shaw, Geordie Shaw, whatever. And it was horrendous. It was really bad. What was it called? It was just called The Shire. And oh, yeah, it's basically Gold Coast, uh, but in Sydney, just a lot of uh, just tats and roids and... Uh, plastic surgery but very nice people that's the stereotype and there's also some awesome people there nice beaches and i've literally been like twice in my life if that isn't that crazy yeah they call it god's country which uh oh. yeah very humble why yeah it's not it's not it's like it's good but yeah settle down with the whole god's country thing like okay there's a beach <laughs> relax but uh yeah their, their football team is the Cronulla sharks so if you do follow NRL, uh, I can't imagine there's a big crossover in people who, who listen to a relationship podcast and follow NRL. But then again, uh, I, every time I look at the uh, analytics, I'm, I'm, I'm shocked. This is still like 60% male listeners and 40% female. So there you go. That must be the only relationships podcast in the world that has more male listeners. So if there's ever a green flag for any, any single people listening to this, the green flag is listening to the Sex Sells podcast. You put that in your dating profile. Remember, we even Remember did that. When yeah, we, we had a few yeah, people. and I had these people sending me screenshots of them doing it, but then I lost all my messages. I'm so sad about that. That was so good. I've still and got a few of those. Like saying, I found. Oh, I need to bring those back. That was so good. One of their prompts on Hinge was like, uh, "We uh, get a glass of wine and listen to." The Sex Sales Podcast, which what a what a perfect first date that would be. I wanted to find Sex Sales and Chill. A girl posted in her like um I think it was Hinge or something about listening to Sex Sales as a favorite pastime. And I was like, we should start like an online buy the podcast, connect these two people together, make a little oh, our, our own, own little dating network. <laughs> Speed dating events, yeah. sex sales. And then we can, we'll track them over a period of months to see how it progresses. <laughs> yeah, make a full documentary out of it. Uh, we, we could do, a, I've toyed with the idea of doing live podcasts. And then what we I could do that. is is do a live podcast and then that combines into a speed dating event. <laughs> that would be my dream come true. I almost just had a heart attack. Yeah, that would be... Um... Can we do that now? Let's talk about this afterwards because that would be so... I know so many people that would be into that. Yeah, well, look, you got a common interest. 
Imagine that. Imagine if there's eventually some sex sells babies. Oh. Well, look, there'd be... There'd... We'll be cult leaders. <laughs> yeah, and they'd be raised well, Finally. mainly due to your advice. Yes. And then maybe they'll have a bit of a sense of humor as well. So they get it all. All right. Oh, my God, that would be so good. Yeah, okay. That's Let fun. us know if you've uh, maintained a relationship from this podcast or if you've if you connected with a significant other uh, based on listening to this podcast and how far along in your relationship you are because the first of you that actually have children, that's going to be pretty cool. So let us know. Let us know about the intimate details of your relationship. Message us on Instagram. But speaking of relationships, we are going to talk about the way love is portrayed in media and particularly Disney films because we all know how much Disney influenced us as children. Uh, if, if you are our age, eh, any age, let alone our age, but we grew up with a lot of the princess films and I'm sure that had an impact on the way we see relationships and love. And then you move into uh, adolescence and your teenage years and you see love being depicted in high school dramas, teen dramas on Disney Channel, Nickelodeon, etc. And then... You've got romantic comedies. You've got uh, all the big Netflix series that all have their love stories within them. And the older I get, the more I read on this subject, the more unrealistic and arguably unhealthy that depiction of love and relationships is because it's clearly overly dramatized uh, because for obvious reasons, they want to entice people to watch an entire series, an entire film. And a stable relationship doesn't make for a good film, does it? Because that would be quite boring. Everyone, you know, does the duties that they have to do each week. And if there's ever a conflict, they sit down together and calmly talk about it. And they plan little dates together and get-togethers. And that doesn't make a good drama. That would be boring. No one would watch that. Whereas the sorts of love stories that do make good dramas are ones that are unrequited, someone loves someone else, and then there's a grand romantic gesture which ultimately makes that person realise, oh, you were there all along and you were the right one for me. And that big romantic gesture of you making a song for me in front of the whole school or running onto a plane and, and making out with me and delaying everyone else, uh, that is what changed my mind. And then you go go uh you go back 10 20 years you got the disney films which are all about oh look um i'm just the the prettiest girl in the village and i need to be saved by the big strong handsome prince uh and can't help but feel that that instills a little bit of a damsel in distress mentality among among women and for men it it makes you think that okay i just have to be the uh that sort of princely heroic figure and that's how i win someone's love and affection by essentially outdoing other other men or being the being the nicest person that was there all along and no because then you become the uh the nice guy and if you are on tiktok or just exist in the modern world everyone knows that the uh stereotypical nice guy is not actually very nice and he thinks that simply being nice is enough to make someone fall in love with him 
because he assumes everyone else who uh, interacts with her is not nice to her. And the only reason you could possibly be nice to someone is if you're attracted to them, which is just insane when you think about it. So uh, that's uh, that's the way love is often depicted in, in film, TV and, and Disney films. And even if we rationally can can sort of ascertain at this age, oh, look, that's not realistic, that's all just a movie, it had an impact on us because it, it plays yeah. with our emotions. We, we, we cry, we laugh, we, we're inspired by these uh, films and TV shows and as a result, it, it, it embeds something into us and we may not consciously be aware of it, but subconsciously we expect that same kind of emotional titillation from a partner when it's completely unrealistic, that's how you get into a toxic relationship. When you experience the same sort of roller coaster of emotions that you would whilst watching a Disney film or a romantic comedy, and people think that's that's what true love is, and then they often can um, discard potential suitors because they didn't have that same emotional impact on them. So there is some uh, unlearning to do, and I'm not I'm not trying to say we should you know, ban these sorts of films or TV shows or anything like that. But uh, I do think they impact us in a potentially negative way for the formation of long-term healthy relationships. What What do you think? Anyway, I'm not the therapist, but <laughs> so what do you think? Oh, a thousand percent. And, you know, and it's funny to joke about banning, but I've actually thought about this a lot with, you know, my baby, especially being a boy. Uh, well, not especially, but... yeah. <laughs> I there's a lot of Disney movies I actually don't think I would encourage or would put on more than once if at all um, for him to watch because that you do get subliminal messages that come through these Disney movies about especially about boys being brave and heroic and girls where your purpose of life is to be if you're pretty and date someone will sweep you off your feet and and give you wealth or give you a better life or if you look past the beast, um, you'll be rewarded for it. So all of these kind of messages may actually be quite harmful for young people and to grow up. And I didn't actually watch too much Disney personally as a child, but I still grew up with that message that, you know, you should, if you're pretty and you're nice and you're kind or not passive, maybe a little bit passive, then someone will come and he'll sweep you off your feet and be super romantic and that's what love is supposed to look like like these big gestures or even without the gestures just consistent a hundred percent of someone putting in so much effort fulfilling all your needs high levels of romance like i i I was a serial dater um and uh, although i was in a long-term relationship i've had a lot of long-term relationships i've had like five boyfriends that all my relationships surpassed two three up to four years but i didn't realize until i was in my well basically until i was studying relationship counseling in my mid-20s that i was leaving those relationships not because they were bad but because i felt that you know i wasn't fulfilled enough and i wanted an adventure and i wanted something new and something exciting and had i been in those relationships at say 30 years old or at the age I'm at now, I probably would have maybe even stayed in some of those relationships. Not that I have any regrets. Obviously, I feel like I'm, I'm with my genuine soulmate, love of my life, whatever, baby daddy now. Um, but it, my viewpoint would have been very different had I entered those relationships at this age 
Whereas when I was younger and always having these expectations of what romance and love should be. And it's kind of like, particularly with Disney, I'm in two camps about it, um, or, or film and TV, because one side of me, you know, the feminist side, you think, you know, it's it's really harmful, these messages about, obviously newer Disney movies are different. Like when you think of Brave and I don't know, I haven't seen any of the other ones, but they're putting, they're changing the narrative about that. But I'm talking about the old school Disney movies like Cinderella, Snow White, Beauty and the Beast, Little Mermaid, all of those about kind of like someone that's disadvantaged or something happens and Rapunzel's trapped in a tower and then someone, a man will come and save her and life will be good. And that's the message that you grew up with in all a film and all our kids' movies and things were like that. And even film is like that as well a lot. Like, so the feminist part of me thinks this is so wrong and it's so harmful and it's so hurtful. But then the other side of me that's done a lot of research into this has understands that this is the most appealing narrative to women. So whether one causes the other or it's causation or correlation, whatever, but it's a known fact that even with erotica novels, for example, one woman I know that oh, I listened to, uh, she wrote a book and she had an obsession at one point in her life with reading erotica and she would read thousands of erotica novels a year. Like it was a problem. She had a literal addiction to romance novels. Well, there's, there's worse things you could be addicted to. Yeah. And she was a psychologist as well, which was interesting. But um, she was saying that every single erotica book without fail has the same storyline kind of narrative where it's two people there's either like there's a big contrast either one's rich one's poor they hate each other one's good one's bad there's a big contrast between the two then there's some tension but they don't like each other or they can't be together or something's withholding them and then there's this big climactic fight issue or whatever and then it brings together in a moment of passion and sex. And then it said, she said, as soon as they come good and they actually finally get together, which happens usually two thirds into the book, she's no longer interested in reading it. She doesn't care about the happy ending or whatever, or the life that happens afterwards. So her favorite part is like the contrast and the fight, like the big romantic fight or, and, the, and in terms of genres, the most popular or one of the most popular genres um, is werewolves vampires and pirates <laughs> which is really interesting but it kind of fulfills into that like you can't be near me because i have a hidden secret or something like that that is really really appealing to women audiences and or heterosexual women i should say um so mm. there is you know a there is a market for that there's no denying it there's something that's really appealing so it's almost like Yes, it's harmful. Is it our biology that makes us appealing to it? Or is it that this has been the messages we've received since the ages of three years old onwards about what is desirable for women? So it's really um, very interesting. <laughs> Cross cultures, there are those similar sort of archetypes that do tend to be venerated and have a prominent role to play in the, in the fictional stories that other cultures also. Yeah. Uh, share, but there's something, uh, I wouldn't say pernicious, but 
likely damaging when it comes to these sorts of narratives in the West because as what Esther Perel always talks about is that we've lost any form of other spiritual meaning in our lives. It's all dependent on the romantic relationship. It used to be that you had a spiritual connection to God, to your family, to the extended family, to the nation. And that's not to say we need to bring back all of these um, traditional social institutions, but they played a role and we need to bring back something that mimics that role that's more equitable and more aligned with uh, the ethics of today because otherwise I think humans have a, a deeply spiritual impulse and we put all of that energy into a significant other. We expect them to be not just our partner, our best friend, our lover. We expect them to give us stability as well as novelty, which just that's impossible, first of all, because those two things are, they counterbalance each other. And there is so much emphasis on the the need for spiritual fulfillment from that significant other to the point where it does become pseudo-religious. I mean, we all know couples that essentially worship each other and that's usually not that healthy. Uh, it, it, it just means your entire sense of self is dependent upon the other person and dependent on various uh, em emotional highs and lows that you're going to experience from the other person. And like you, I... Uh, definitely uh went through a couple of relationships that had these sorts of elements before i started to realize oh this isn't this isn't conducive to a long-term healthy bond and it was through experience and reading and yeah learning from certain mistakes that i came to that conclusion and i remember specifically with with andrew i i as you do in this day and age you sort of through online dating you're casually seeing a few people and there were other people that maybe fulfilled more of that uh, infatuation urge and had more of an obsessive quality about them but I, I I did just think with my uh, my brain and I used more of my rational faculties rather than my heart so to speak and thought all right who has qualities that will best match mine and will be best suited to building hopefully a, a longer term partnership and I was the best decision I've ever made so far so uh from personal experience if if because you, you you know you avoid these these sorts of narratives if you're genuinely in that kind of a relationship and you're feeling those highs you tend to uh just avoid anyone trying to get through that narrative that you've built for yourself. So it's, it's very difficult to convince people that they may be in a unhealthy relationship. And of course, everyone, just because you might perceive something as unhealthy doesn't mean it is. I totally acknowledge that, but, uh, I just can't see how on a, on a collective level, these sorts of, uh, stories are essentially just made to make a profit, mm -hmm. how they can be beneficial to the, uh, emotional, spiritual, and romantic health of the population at, at large. And uh, people who maybe hold on to uh, traditional cultures and find their significant other through some of those means look like they're having a, a better time uh, in their partnerships more, more so than, than younger people today 
who were online dating and struggling to say the least and finding it extremely frustrating and that has also exacerbated the uh uh the option paralysis that we all feel and we're led to believe that there's this infinite well of potential people that want to date you when realistically that's also an an algorithm manipulating your uh your sex drive and your and your psychology to keep you on that app as much as possible it's not really interested in finding the best long-term partner for you it's interested in keeping you on that app as long as possible so uh there are a lot of uh issues at play that are leading to the 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 spiritual crisis a lot of a lot of people not everyone but a lot of people are experiencing with relationships and i i can't help it but feel that yeah a lot of these films and and tv shows are contributing to that and i don't know what the solution is because you can't exactly ban those things that's way too far but um just educating people about it i think and just helping people understand that they need to also be exposed to more wiser and more more helpful and and rational ways of finding a partner and what a relationship should look like and that you sometimes have to question how you feel and your heart and your gut might be telling you to do something but it may not be the healthiest thing for you which actually goes against everything you hear in these romantic films which is just listen to your heart well yeah no not always because your your heart is essentially like your emotions toying with you to mimic uh some sort of emotional high that you've experienced either in childhood and from a opposite sex partner or or just from the media that you've consumed so it's definitely uh, yep. a minefield to unpack um the the thing you talked about with uh relationship novels catered to women there's there's quite a few tiktoks about this from guys that are pretty funny where they talk about the every male character in a in a relationship novel and it's always like he was he was 6 foot 6 had gigantic muscles bashed everyone except with dark brooding eyes yeah completely yeah. gentle and kind with her and only ever yeah. cried with her and everyone else he just yeah. yelled at and punched them and yeah of course yeah. when we're adults we understand that this is fiction but these things if you if you like the person you mentioned if you're reading this every single day you are getting an unrealistic emotional picture in the same way if a man's watching mm-hmm. porn every day you're getting a very unrealistic physical mm-hmm. picture of what sex and intimacy mm-hmm. is like and if you're constantly watching romantic comedies and these sorts of films and uh the reading these sorts of novels i think you're also getting an unrealistic emotional picture of what um relationships and intimacy is like for sure I, what i uh, you all know that i'm obsessed with reading relationship reddit or subreddits on on um on reddit about relationships and am i the asshole and things like that those are my two favorite our relationships and our am i the asshole and i see every single day someone posting saying you know i'm in a really healthy relationship we've been together for 6 years i really love him he's so nice he's so generous blah 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 really see future with him but i'm feeling really uninspired i feel like i've lost myself i might break up with him um it will i be the asshole and then people are commenting saying like and the people that comment interestingly a lot of those comments came from older people that have more experience like that are in their 50s 
have more relationship experience in their life, don't be an idiot and leave a really good relationship so that you can just find yourself more only to enter another relationship and feel lost again in another six years when you reach the same spot in that relationship. Um, and then I saw another post actually just yesterday where um, I'm pretty sure this may have been, a, um, I'm pretty sure it was a, a lesbian couple, but still same standards apply. I'm pretty sure it might've been a straight couple, I can't remember, but basically she was waiting for a um, proposal and she knew it was coming and she'd kind of been dropping all these hints about what she wanted, what would be really special, blah, blah, blah. And then her partner ended up proposing. She organized like um, a huge night out, fancy dinner, all these romantic things, and then um, proposed to her at the end of the night. And the person that was writing the post was like, am I the asshole for being like upset and mad? Because one, I hinted towards you know, this specific type of proposal too. I thought it would have been better. She could have put in more effort. Three And people were commenting saying, yeah, you're the asshole because this person just organized a full day of like romantic activities, but it still wasn't enough for you. Like it's one, it's, it's what the proposal symbolizes. It's not the proposal itself. And it's not like she just got down on her knee and was like, let's get married. She still planned this whole thing for you. Um, but it's just these expectations that we can have on, on love and romance are so um high and then whether or not they're realistic or or unrealistic is one thing but it's whether or not it's healthy to have those expectations so i'm you know i always have a lot of boundaries and there's i don't put up with things and i think it's really um important that i say this because you know i do have friends that have relationships where their partners are really shitty to them and then they'll say, like, you know, I believe in putting a lot of work and maintaining this relationship and love isn't always rosy. Like, yeah, those are true, but you should still have, you know, be meeting above the bare minimum of respect and love in a relationship. I think that's really essential to say that I'm not promoting, you know, anything other than that. But also understanding that, like Esther Perel always says, we can't expect our relationship partners to fulfill every single need of us, spiritual, emotional, sexual, um, social, all these things that we want our partner to fulfill. They want, we want them to be our, our motivators, our counsellors, everything. So it's what we used to seek from other sources we now seek from within our partner and when it's not maintained in every level all the time we look elsewhere or we want to leave because it's no longer as satisfying as it once was so i think what i wish people understood especially those like you know where you were talking about the highs of a relationship or that kind of climactic there's issues or problems and you overcome them or there's some sort of resistance or a sexy and and there's that passion and that zest, like all these amazing, sexy things happening, even if it's not of a sexual nature, but just just things that make you excited. That excitement can be very, very easily mistaken with cortisol. Um, and we may not recognize that our body is actually stressed when we're experiencing those things. And you go through a cycle because your cortisol levels um, peak when there's drama in your relationships. And then you bond afterwards because you reconnect and you have like this shared moment of vulnerability um and feeling like you know the passion is back makeup sex or whatever and then you need the drama again in order to bring back those feelings continuously of 
passion and desire and and closeness so you rely on that drama so you subconsciously start creating drama over and over and over again and i've spoken about this um before that drama does not you know i'm not talking about domestic violence but in one in one case um dv when someone has been um research shows that when someone has been physically assaulted the person or object that they look at within the the next i think it's like seven seconds of being assaulted is what they gives them an instant increase of dopamine and the bonding hormone serotonin and what often happens when you're abused by someone who do you look at afterwards that your abuser um so it puts you in a cycle of almost sometimes increasing love or feeling like more desiring closeness from that person even after being abused so i think it's really it's a really harmful narrative that we have in everywhere not just film and tv but even just like with what your friends say and things like that to say go for passion does you do you feel you know excitement and passion do you feel the fire and things like that that's not always helpful especially if you've had any kind of trauma background high levels of cortisol or things that peak your cortisol you become addicted to that so you will find that you will always desire the bad boy or whatever especially if you've had a traumatic background and then when you find someone that's good for you you're not going to feel satisfied because you'll be quotes bored um and and it's because you're no longer getting those peaks of of cortisol levels that you're used to so then you go and do something reckless or self-sabotage in order to have that so then we find like people might i see people post on reddit saying like you know i'm with a really great guy in my last six relationships i was abused or he was toxic or narcissistic blah 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 and then i finally find a really good guy and for the first time now here I am, I ghosted him or I cheated on him or I did this to sabotage it. It's because if he's not spiking your cortisol levels, you're going to spike it yourself. Um, so it's once you start, it's really hard to break that cycle. And then people will say, well, and people ask me this all the time. Like if I've had that experience, then do I just go into a normal relationship and feel bored forever? Like how do I actually know if this is my life partner or if this is someone I'm supposed to be with and commit to, if I don't feel that level of passion and fire and, well, and lust. <laughs> the fact that you don't feel that uh, level of passion and fire and lust, but there's something in you telling yourself that, hey, this is maybe a, has got, this person's got all the qualities that I know theoretically I wanted. It may actually be a good sign then that they're the sort of person that you'd want to spend a long period of time mm-hmm. with not necessarily but if if the pattern is that when you felt that sense of passion and uh desire and spiking cortisol has always led to uh dangerous situations or uh failed relationships well then it makes sense that maybe the one that isn't actually spiking those emotions may they at least wouldn't be yeah. as bad as that person uh so then the question becomes like how do i how do i feel those uh how do i experience those highs outside of a relationship well that's something that people have to figure out in their own way because uh these sorts of things do basically mimic drugs they spike your like you said your serotonin and your dopamine and and then your cortisol and and in many ways you're acting in a way an addict would you're self-sabotaging 
you are getting yourself in really vulnerable and dangerous situations and it's not good for the people around you nor is it good for for you in your life so you have to treat it in the same way you would an an addiction in many ways you have to sort of wean yourself off it and listen more to your to your rational faculties rather than your emotional faculties and and then there's ways you can um find that excitement elsewhere in your in your life whether in, in a healthy way whether that's I don't know, an extreme sport or if, if we're talking about the spiritual side of things art or music or there there are other healthy ways to to feel that sense of spiritual transcendence and not rely entirely on your partner to to give that to you because no one no one can do that no one person can fulfill all your transcendental needs uh in a modern context it's just it's just it's completely impossible and and now we got uh you know teenage boys who are watching porn and and they're getting an un- and even if at that age you might say all right they themselves know this isn't realistic but what is that doing to their their emotional foundations and the faculties that they then rely on I don't know if you know about this. I think it's called the somatic marker hypothesis. But basically, whenever we think we've made a rational decision, what's essentially happened is various emotional cues have triggered whatever memory we may have embedded into into our subconscious or our body or our uh, nervous system. And that then sends a message to the brain that then concocts a rational idea as to why we're making that decision. So uh, you have that happening with, Pornography and I, I look. I watched a lot of pornography as a teenager, and I regret it. But at the same time, my parents didn't really know about that because they didn't grow up around that sort of thing. So if you're if you're a parent now to to teenage boys, you gotta. Well, I don't know what you do because it's so pervasive, but at least at least do what you can. Try to limit it or tell them that it's gonna harm them. And it also just completely ruins your dopamine receptors. Our body is designed to feel that way after we've actually had sex, not after we've watched someone on a screen. Um, and look, I say this, like I occasionally still watch it and everything. If, if, if you do it in moderation, I think, I think you're all right. But if uh, you were like me as a teenager, literally watching it every day after school to relax, I mean, it's not, you know, there's, there's a reason I was... <laughs> a virgin much longer than a lot of my classmates is probably because of that because you don't face rejection you don't face any challenges you don't you don't grow as a potential romantic partner you just get these fantasies broadcast to you and you don't have any actual intimacy that comes with that and i wonder if say if a, if a teenage girl is uh reading twilight and and you know listening to one direction and associating her early feelings of uh uh, boyhood crushes with those sorts of emotions and then anticipating and expecting that from a relationship and in a similar vein even if they can rationally say yeah I know that's not it's not realistic to date a man who turns into a werewolf at night but the emotional uh, response that you that you felt watching those Twilight films is something you unconsciously expect from a from a relationship even in your 20s and that's something that I think people are starting to become a bit more aware aware of, but it's so embedded into our psyche that it's actually hard to control. Like like with a, an addict yeah. or someone who does yeah. need that that hit, it you know you they all know it's bad for them, but exactly. you can't help it. You just, just 
I was about to say that same thing is that anyone that watches porn excessively, everyone knows, especially like adults, that it's unrealistic, it's not real, blah, blah, blah. Yet the physiological response, despite you knowing that logically, the physiological response that your body has does not know that. And it will treat it as though you've had multiple sexual partners. You will like imprint or or release serotonin and things like that. And it's really, really hard to undo. That's what, you know, we can rationalize, yeah, porn's not real, but yet here you have porn-induced erectile dysfunction. Or here you have, um, there's a lot of research that shows that your views um, on not just the physicality, but just women in general can change. Um, that you can skew more towards misogynistic views, for example. Or um, when I had, um, back in the day when I had Tinder, and I put on my profile that I had studied sexology and I had so many guys message me just to ask me questions about their problems. So many, like someone would say, I have a fetish for this. I don't know how to like deal with it. I hate it and blah, blah, blah. And one guy um, messaged me and he actually lived local to me. So we met up to talk about this, not as a date because obviously the nature of what he messaged, I wasn't really that interested anyway. Um, but he said that, you know, he has a really big issue with porn watching he watches it maybe like i wouldn't say a huge issue he watches it every day or every second day or so and he said that now after so many years of being single and being able to cater every single physical fantasy with you know watching porn etc that when he goes on dates with women now all he can see is flaws and gets really like turned off he's like you know before if i looked at porn i didn't like the way a vulva looks i would just find a different video to suit one but now i date someone and i really like her and then as soon as i undress her there's something i don't like the shape of her nipples the shape of her vagina the, the hair on her belly button or something like that then he's like i can't just click out of it so he what had you know a lot of sexual dysfunction as part of that but not only that he couldn't perform sexually was that he didn't want to he lost interest in these women almost immediately because he was so used to striving for something that was his ideal um so it was really like it, it's interesting to see like the perspective of you know how it can impact boys and men and things like that and as much as he knew that it was dangerous and blah 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 he couldn't stop because he was addicted to it and if felt good of course it feels good and you know it is it is intense for adults and parents to have those conversations with um children and or teenagers uh, and a lot of people say you shouldn't be talking about it until they're like 17 but i will be having those conversations with my child as a teen as a child <laughs> you got to in this day and um, age well like years, yeah they're, yeah they're watching that from a very yeah i mean i when i was 12 i started I think ten or something. My friend first showed me uh, some yeah. some yeah. some pornographic content, and yeah, it was a pretty slippery slope from there. Uh, excuse the yeah. pun, but uh, yeah, that wasn't that wasn't good. It was just clearly pretty detrimental to uh, you know my uh, sex life as well. And it took a long time to to detox from that. And it's not easy, yeah, but it's exactly. but it's more common than yeah. not. Like it's now, I yeah. I think more people will, especially teenagers, would be watching porn very regular, very regularly, yeah. uh, as opposed to the ones that don't watch it at all. And yeah. 
I doubt there's any that don't watch it at all unless they're they have extremely strict parents or or might be religious. I think the, it would be abnormal to not watch it. It's that it's probably at that point now. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah. Um, and then that's definitely exacerbating the the all the problems that we're facing with dating and uh, fertility rates as well. So, this isn't good from the on that on that on that perspective. But coming back to, I suppose, what you're seeing in film and TV and and Disney, uh, you you got to be wary of this. You got to be wary. And again, it's just it's no one's being that puritanical to suggest just don't watch love films or something like that. But you just have to be aware that uh, what may feel passionate and, and feel like a love story that has been depicted in in corporate media is almost certainly not what is going to be the most beneficial for a healthy long-term partnership in the in your life and you should just be aware of that and if someone hasn't theoretically done something wrong uh or if there's not really an issue of incompatibility and it's and it's simply an issue of you may not feel inspired or you may not feel uh those same emotional highs that you experienced with them early on in the relationship, then I would, wouldn't recommend breaking up with that person because that's more an issue of you needing to find other outlets to experience those emotional highs. And you're probably going to ruin that person as well because they've been a good partner. So there's, there's a lot of that. There's a cost to this as well when people are being broken up with for well, ostensibly no no good reason, they become jaded and they become resentful. And then they do become, they, they, they themselves can become the toxic type because they think, well, that's what I have to do to maintain someone's uh, affection. And look, you don't want to be a bore in a relationship. You also do have to try to um, uh, in, initiate a bit of excitement and passion within the relationship if you're just going to do everything you know, quote unquote, right, but but not offer any kind of inspiration or uh, fun or or romance. Well, then, look, you need to look at that as well. But if there's a completely ridiculous expectation of that, uh, then that's that's a situation where it's more on that person that is, that is expecting that emotional high as opposed to the other partner. I mean, this is all contextual and it changes case to case but yeah generally speaking yeah exactly. if, if someone hasn't yeah. done anything ethically wrong and there is no issue of incompatibility you all you you have the same sort of values and you get along with each other and they have at least in your in in uh, from your perspective the right morals uh then that's something to look inwards about as opposed to look externally mm -hmm. and find another partner it's really hard though because you you think about that, but then you also think about you know for example when I would date go dating with random people and might go on two or three dates meet a really nice guy be like he's lovely it's just not there and then not pursue it further mm. so in, in some cases it's almost it's good I'm not gonna you know drag him along or whatever or or, or whatever but then in other cases when you're already in a committed relationship it's no longer good to do that so I think that you know if you're 
deeply unsatisfied, like truly unsatisfied in your relationship that it can't be remedied and you've attempted to remedy it, it is always fair to leave a relationship if you wish to. Um, and you don't have to bear the responsibility of, you know, the, the outcome or the consequence of that to your partner. Um, unless of course you do it in a shitty and toxic way, which is not fair, but, um, there will always be times where you, some, sometimes things go on in your life that you just like, I can't be present in a relationship or I don't know what it is. I can't put my finger on it and I just can't be with this person. And, you know, we might say like, it's, it's better to stay with someone if they're a good partner to you and respect you and love you and put in a lot of effort. But there's also, you know, another part that's like, you, this is the journey that you may need to go on. You may need to learn something from this and you might need to leave that relationship and then realize later on, like shit, I fucked up and learn a lesson for your future relationships about commitment and long-standing. Or you might leave that relationship and be like, I'm so glad that something in my subconscious was telling me it wasn't right. Um, sure. So, I, I, yeah. yeah, I don't think anyone bears a, a individual responsibility for yeah. the the consequences but on a on a societal level there's a lot of these sorts of situations and they do have a cumulative total on the uh level of resentment and how just how jaded a lot of people are because uh if there's just so many people being broken up with and they've you know given a good part of themselves to a relationship and let's say that happens multiple times to the same sort of person there's a lot of people that do go through this where they yeah. They get to that one, two year mark and then they get broken up with and they're, yeah. they're at a loss. They're, I don't know what I did wrong. Then that person does become jaded and, and they shouldn't and they should try to uh, ameliorate that with uh, a more positive outlook on the, on the world at large and the opposite gender. But uh, I, I can also sympathize, uh, empathize with that in that this is very common. And we are a very jaded generation of daters because there's just there's just a you've got an entire history of uh, people that you at least from your perspective did did the right thing were as good a partner as you could be gave your best self to that person and uh, for no seemingly no uh, obvious reason that didn't work out and it's it's hard to just kind of move on from that uh and then when that's happening to a large percentage of people it does have a it, it it takes a toll on uh the dating culture at large and i do think you you're totally correct in saying that look if you're just totally uh not feeling it and you don't think you can even be your best self in that relationship then sure you 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 might be best to to leave but you should then at least inquire as to why you maybe felt that way and do a bit of soul searching yeah. there so that it yeah. doesn't happen again. Because if that happens multiple times, well, you are, no one's, no one's responsible for the dating culture at large, but uh, mm. collectively we've all probably participated in behaviors that have contributed to this kind of jaded and uh, mm. quite toxic online dating culture. Uh, and it's not just the technology. I think it's also our actions and wanting something that might be unrealistic. And I know I look, I look back at things I did when I was younger. And if I, if I knew what I knew now, I, I realized that I was just essentially chasing a, what mimics a drug, what is just a dopamine hit that I didn't really yeah. need. And there were better things I could have done to achieve that, but also just, um, 
requiring a sense of confidence that I could only get from um, having a one-night stand. That was the only way I felt like I was as attractive as I could be and desirable by uh, – I didn't even actually – I don't think I actually cared about the, the sex. It was more like the achievement of uh, seducing yeah. someone on the, on the first date yeah. and then – Look, there was a lot of confidence that came with that and uh, it was fun and, and I like to think it was fun for the other person. I don't know though. I hope it is. Uh, but um, there's, a, there's a toll. Uh, there's, a, there's a cost to, to society for that, which is that uh, more and more uh, women think, oh, look, guys just want to get laid and, and as a result, they have a lot of walls up and and then when a guy comes along who does have long-term intentions, uh, they may not trust him or they, they and, and quite rationally think, oh, he's just saying that to maybe gaslight me or to just get in my pants or something like that. And that is because a lot of guys have gone often um, been fuckboys and, and, and no, one, no one's individually responsible, like I said, but all of these actions play... Um, you know, uh, accumulate to, to the culture that we currently exist in. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a good point to make that it's almost like a, a drug because in reality, every single experience and choice we make is largely driven by uh want and need for a dopamine increase. Um, whether that be scrolling on TikTok, it's addictive because it spikes our dopamine every single time or Instagram and social media, even the way that supermarkets are set up and marketing and, and TV, everything is to spike our dopamine and, and want us wanting more and, and it, feeling a sense of adventure or excitement. So it makes sense almost when that's not happening and occurring in your relationship that you you desire a sense of adventure. So you think I've lost myself in this relationship or I no longer um, feel happy or whatever. And that's what Esther Perel says, that like you almost have to create some sense of mystery and distance in your relationship, even if you live and work together 24-7. There's something that you should responsibly contribute into your relationship and there's that, just a mm -hmm. little sense of push-pull between your relationship and not push-pull in terms of conflict, in terms of like um, something like I could start a ceramics course and that could be intriguing and interesting to my partner that I'm going out and doing something on my own without him or I'm developing a new hobby to talk about with him. It's something as simple as that can be so beneficial into in a longer-term relationship once you're past that honeymoon phase and unfortunately you know, the way that film, Disney, etc., sets us up to believe that you will constantly have these moments of dancing in the kitchen and long, passionate kisses and exciting dates. And then, you know, after a couple of years, some people, some couples maintain that, or even 10 years later, a lot of couples maintain that, and a lot of, but majority of couples don't. It's just they naturally fall into the ebb and flow in relationship. I don't need to go on all these dates with you anymore because I've secured you or already married or we already got babies, whatever. Um, or we just don't need to, we're not courting each other. So you, you're just sitting with your two personalities, which is great. It's more than enough, but there's no excitement there. There's no laughter. And I, I can't remember if I read it in the Hester Perel's book or maybe John Gottman, something like that, some relationship guru. And they were saying like, even just doing something exhilarating together, 
like going on like a jet boat ride or going through a, watching a horror movie something that gets your heartbeat up or laser tag or bowling can be so bonding between a couple it's so childlike and innocent well not horror is not childlike but you get what i mean uh so simple but it's just that a natural and healthy way to increase excitement in your relationship can have greater impacts long-term and maintaining a long-term relationship. You're absolutely right. And, uh, that's the trick. It's, uh, maintaining those markers of stability and consistency whilst still adding that little hint of, uh, passion and excitement. And it's easier said than done because some people, their entire personality is suited to stability, routine, consistency yeah uh, you know exactly what you're gonna get with yeah. this person and some people's personality is is far more suited to excitement and passion and living in the moment and those sorts of people often do really well and on a, on a first date and can be very yeah. exciting and in, enticing and this is actually in um oh i'm totally mind blanking on her name but um why him why her it's an absolutely brilliant relationship book that I would recommend everyone read that. She talks about this four sorts of people based on the primary uh, hormone that's uh, in your brain. It's uh, the people who are dopamine types, estrogen types, uh, testosterone types, and uh, serotonin types. And usually uh, two serotonin types, she calls them builders. They often make really healthy, great long-term partnerships. Um Dopamine types, people who chase dopamine are, are very fun and exciting and passionate and she calls them explorers. So uh, these are the sort of people that it's not like they can't have a long-term partnership or anything like that, but you, you, you just have to, you have to think differently if you're not that dopamine sort of chasing person. Um, and then you got your sort of testosterone and estrogen chases if you will and they often bond really well together and it's a great book that really gives you an insight into about uh, maybe how some of your previous relationships might not have worked out and um learning about what motivates someone else because say someone like me i'm, I'm definitely more of that builder kind of person builder, and yeah. uh one uh previous partner was definitely more of that dopamine um sort of person and i'd basically through you know essentially studying in a very builder way figured out how to uh give off the aura of a dopamine and 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 more passionate exciting sort of person on a date and so as i think that might have been how i managed to attract someone like that who in any other context we probably wouldn't have been right for each other and then mm -hmm. um Builders really like rules and rigidity and consistency, but uh, explorers absolutely do not. And they feel that it's very controlling and it it, um, it, uh, it goes against their sense of autonomy. And so there was, there's a lot of, there can be a lot of conflict and, and there was. <laughs> and, um, you know, when things actually feel stressful, that's when I like to put more rules per se but try to figure things out and understand everything and and even write things down and 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 yeah maybe put a bit of like rules in place to just get to a point where we're on that same page and understand what this is about but that is exactly what you shouldn't do for someone who chases dopamine so uh that was a really good book that helped me a lot so i would yeah. recommend that it's called why him why her book. and i've just 
I bought it. I read it as well, but I can't recall any of it because I was like nine months pregnant. But I know that Adrian was a builder um, like you. And it's so funny you say that because he was, every time he gets stressed, he makes lists. Like on his computer, exactly he's got like yeah. 12 different types of lists, home lists, uh, goals lists, self-care lists, Eliza lists, every, all lists. He's obsessed. And then when he like gets like, when he goes, I need to go Zen, he's really into Zen and Buddhism at the moment. He deletes all his lists. And today he got stressed again and wrote 10 lists. <laughs> uh, it's funny. It's, and I actually yeah. was part explorer and part estrogen um, yeah the one that's like really like nurturing yeah and, absolutely and, yeah 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 so you can kind like, of you, can, yeah you can kind of have like a little combo but what was interesting is everything you say makes so much sense but in i think for us the builder explorer dynamic actually works because everything that he would want structure in a relationship I find it exciting because relationships, my passion, um, and I love to learn about that and talk about that and study that, whatever. But maybe if it wasn't like my life obsession to be discussing and planning relationships, I'd probably be like, stop controlling me. Who knows? Um, yeah, even it's not like he never instigates those conversations. It's usually me, but I don't know. Yeah, I have to read it again. I think. Oh, it's not. It's not as though those kind of differ different. Um, uh, subtypes can't work in a in a relationship in fact she goes into detail about how you can have stronger bonds with someone that might right. not be your um ideal type but right. uh a, a good thing is to try to like like you were saying not just mimic the excitement for the relationship in general but if you are a man who is more of that stable type you have to try and as much as possible integrate that beast like you know romantic novel archetype into your personality in a way that's still very healthy and controlled and i think little things like you know i don't think you should ever stop flirting with your partner that's a big one mm -hmm. if you've been together one month or 50 years you gotta always flirt with each other you gotta always you know be playful be be cheeky be mischievous yeah. that sort of thing is a marker of uh, passion and emotional interest and sometimes you this this is might be confronting for for some people but you may not it may not come naturally but it's it's worthwhile as as something that will foster more intimacy to not entirely force it as such but but you know uh push it push it push the relationship dynamic towards a bit of flirtation and uh and and mystery and and, play. and yeah. never reject a partner if they do that. I mean, look, okay, look, there might be if they completely misread a situation or something, but if they're trying to flirt with you, if they're trying to be cheeky, if they're trying to uh, extend a, a branch of intimacy, always reciprocate that. Always reciprocate that because that's how you can both um, find those little points of excitement and, and um, passion in what is otherwise a very stable and healthy relationship. And I think... Uh, for 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 men, just having a more complex identity and personality structure can be very exciting because that's always another big uh, factor when it comes to these sorts of uh, characters in romance novels. They're always so complicated and they can never work them out. And it's like an onion, you're just peeling all these layers, but then you discover something else and you discover something tender and you discover something that's also confronting and it's and it's equal parts confronting as it is tender and excited and and they're the one thing that they all have is they're complicated if you're a simple npc type of person that just 
it likes what every other guy likes and and listens to what every other guy listens to well then of course you're never going to maintain a level of excitement with your significant other you got to you got to have that level of complexity to you now not not to a dark level like a lot of those characters <laughs> have but if you if you just have you know different sort of interests different sometimes uh complex ideas about the world and 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 your place in it and just way things that are going to make you not not completely mysterious as such but uh interesting and you can actually develop that don't ever like resign yourself to the idea that oh, i'm just an average guy and there's nothing interesting about me well make something interesting about you like you can you can do that yeah. and i think a good way of doing that is is reading and start off by reading mm -hmm. in in an area that you're interested in because you'll be able to sustain your attention and then you'll slowly start to branch off reading on on, on other topics and um having different skills and, and hobbies and and um being competent at, at a variety of things that's always generally at least quite interesting and engaging for a lot of people so having a lot of life experience is always going to make you more interesting so um those are ways to sort of that's a good that's an important one i think yeah you that... can't help it if you don't well you can but you um, can yeah I you're th young and stuff like you're 17 it's a bit hard sometimes but there's always adventure to be found somewhere yeah you gotta this is more of a long-term um task <laughs> and yeah if you if you're just uh trying to integrate these these uh uh markers that will encourage biological interest into a long-term partnership that is more conducive to a sort of modern domestic society that's that's what you have it's not easy but that's sort of what you seemingly have to do um and you know i'm still only what two years into this one so who am i to say but um you know hopefully in in 10 years i'll i'll be vindicated and uh things would have worked but uh this is just the sort of the wisdom that is often spread by the people we both really like like your esther perels and all the other um gurus in this space so um yeah i think that's something that's really important trying to integrate those uh excitement factors into your personality and into your relationship in a healthy kind of way yeah, and it seems like it's a big task, but it can be so simplistic, like truly the simplest things. Like when I look at Adrian, Adrian isn't someone that is extremely like um, deep or has those topics. You know, he's a shy, quiet, introverted person, which I find really attractive. I love myself a humble man and he's very humble. Um, so to have sit down and say something like really interesting that sounds like i'm talking so much shit about it but for him to come with like a very obscure like viewpoint or conspiracy theory or something interesting he's learned is almost out of character for him um but to me and what works for his personality like when he does something interesting it's like something that he's passionate in like he goes crazy talking about he's really interested in basketball at the moment and he knows everyone's backstory. So he always, it comes to me really excited telling me about these backstories and this person came from poverty and did this. And I find it really cute. And then yesterday he got a bladder out and he was on the roof of our house. I don't know what he was doing. He was doing something. And I found, I was just so, I found it so sexy. He was on a ladder. Like Excitement yeah. can come in the most simple ways. Like it's really not, it's just something new and random I hadn't seen before. Yeah. I mean, I've seen it. He's a trainee, but you know, just 
out of the blue, just got a bladder out, started working on things, and I was like, I love this. Like, you know, it's just that the mundane repetitiveness that we fall into in relationships and in our life. It's not good for ourselves and it's not good in the relationship. So it's really just, that's really what it comes down to. Do it for yourself more than anything. Um, and, and the benefits will reap outwards in your career, in your in your relationships, in your self-esteem, everything. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I I, I suppose I'm putting my uh, experiences on that point and, and it doesn't have to be just, you, you know, just internal complexity that you have to emanate mm -hmm. outwards it can be in your actions and doing mm -hmm. things like you just mentioned that would be uh interesting and exciting because it's look it's <laughs> someone going on it is it's it's as as cliche and silly as it might sound it's still you know someone just kind of doing something a bit out of the ordinary and you're like whoa what's he doing what's going on in his mind what's he <laughs> yeah. what's he actually yeah, fixing but he did it so yeah. sure he did it did something um really well so it probably uh you know but in, intrinsically uh you understand like this is a resourceful partner and that's yeah, something that yeah. would be very yeah. attractive because i don't know if you finished hormonal yet but we got to do a podcast uh, on that when you have what have yeah, you yeah. did you did you finish it or i haven't finished it yet because i started another book i'm reading this other book and it's called the tragedy of heterosexuality <laughs> but i'm trying to read both at the same time but I, <laughs> it's written by a lesbian um, which is really interesting, though, because the point of this book is that any heterosexual relationship only benefits, well, mainly benefits the straight male, um, and relationships are set up, the frame of a relationship under the patriarchy is set up to benefit men. Anyway, I don't have a formed opinion on it, I'm just reading it out of curiosity. Interesting. So stay tuned, I will give a review soon. But yeah, I will get back onto hormonal, because I'm going to stick to one book, I don't have the brain capacity anymore to, to read two books yeah. at one time <laughs> fair enough okay well we'll uh, do a podcast on that for sure the hormonal book so like i was like captivated three pages in and i was yeah. like holy shit this is so interesting it really it's one of those uh red pill type books that just changes yeah. changes your perspective on everything so um do you have any uh con concluding remarks on this one or i think we've touched on We've explored that topic pretty adequately. Yeah, I think that my the, my final statement is that knowing and being aware of these things is it, it is really important. Like we always say, like we can justify that this is unrealistic with porn or movies and blah blah blah. But putting things into practice is the next step that we need to take because everyone says, "Oh, you just got to know this." Or, Have you heard about this? But practice these things, put these things into practice, and implement them into your everyday life is what is really essential and important for your own betterment and for your relationships too of course that's it all right well uh thank you everyone for listening and uh hope you're enjoying your summer unless you're overseas then i hope you're enjoying your winter i hope you're enjoying 2023 we will see you next week bye guys